I'm Kimberly Gronemeyer with Florida Voices for Animals and Triangle Veg Fest, who are presenting Tampa Bay Veg Fest on Saturday, November 5th, from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. at Perry Harvey Senior Park. This event includes renowned speakers, vegan food vendors, cooking demos, vegan food samples, a family fun zone, and live music. Plus, the first 200 attendees receive special goodie bags. Check out www.tampabayvegfest.com for more information. This is Talking Animals on WMNF. First, I want to wish Mike a very happy birthday. I'm Duncan Strauss, and my guest today is Dr. Shayla Toombs-Withers, who runs a medical practice in Chattanooga, Tennessee, called the Essence of Health Wellness Clinic. The clinic reflects Dr. Toombs-Withers' holistic philosophy, combining her deep knowledge of medicine, her nutritional ideology that revolves around eating a plant-based diet, and recommending athletic training. Having followed a plant-based diet herself for numerous years, Dr. Toombs Withers has long placed a premium on drawing on her lifestyle to educate her parent, her, her patient, sorry, in how to improve and overcome their chronic diseases. Dr. Toombs Withers is slated to be one of the speakers at this year's Tampa Bay Veg Fest this Saturday, November 5th, at Perry Harvey Senior Park. Fittingly, given her background and approach to healing, the topic of her VegFest talk is food as medicine. We'll find out more about her approach and maybe get a sneak preview of her VegFest talk when I speak with Dr. Shayla Toombs-Withers in a few moments here on Talking Animals on WMNF. A programming note, I will be out of town next Wednesday, so the fabulous Bev Capshaw has graciously agreed to host the show in my absence. The guest she's lined up is Philip Mayaro, Founder of Dogs Allowed Tampa Bay. Dogs Allowed Tampa Bay was started to act as advocates in helping local animal rescue groups fulfill their adoption and fundraising goals. Meanwhile, later in this show, I'll speak with H.H. German, founder of Sigma Comics and the writer-creator of Calico, the first comic book hero dedicated to fighting animal abuse. Calico is an eight-issue series, and I initially spoke with him around the publication of the first issue, and then again, a bit deeper into the series. Now, issue number six has been launched on Kickstarter. We'll discuss the challenges and rewards of publishing a comic where the hero battles animal abuse when I talk with H.H. German later in today's program. Right now, though, let's discuss plant-based diets and a medical practice that revolves around them with Dr. Toombs Withers. With a reminder that I invite you to join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663, emailing dj at wmf.org. We're texting 813-433-0885. This is Dr. Shayla Toombs-Withers on Talking Animals on WNF. Good morning, Dr. Toombs-Withers. 
Hi, Duncan. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks so much for joining us on Talking Animals. And um, I think uh, it might be instructive and provide context for the later portion of our conversation to ask you to tell a bit of your own story. For example, where you grew up and what your family attitudes about food were. Yeah, sure. So I'm originally from Atlanta, Georgia, so I'm a southerner. Uh, and my diet growing up consisted of southern foods. Um, you know, I have the grandmother who, um, she was actually a, a cafeteria cook, so she loved to cook. She would cook large portions. And so we have, you know, the traditional mac and cheese, fried chicken, uh, those type of meals um, surrounding our family gatherings. However, um, my own personal story. Once I got uh, a bit older and had gone off to college, I started getting these bouts of severe stomach pain. Um, and so I went to the doctor and had all of this work up and all of these tests run and all of these things and everything was normal. There was nothing they could find wrong, but the doctor suggested, uh, he said, you know, maybe let's just try elimination diet. Let's try to just take, you know, some things out one at a time. And so we tried dairy and he said, just go for a couple of weeks without dairy and see how you feel. And believe it or not, I, was, I had gone from having stomach pain just almost every day or certainly several times a week where I'd be double over to no pain at all over those few weeks where I went dairy-free. Um, and then uh, immediately once I started consuming it again, it came back. And so, you know, I went for my follow-up and he said, yep, that's our answer. <laughs> wow. And, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. And so I, I, I was sold from, from there. Like, if I wanted to stay out of pain, then I, I definitely had to avoid it. So did he, uh, the, I, I think you said he, so I think it's a he. Um, yeah, it was a he. Uh-huh. Yeah. Did he um, just kind of intuitively, in terms of figuring out what to eliminate uh, from your from your diet first, say, let's try dairy first, just because he already had an inkling that that's what was causing the issues? Or was that just kind of the thing that he often started with if he was pulling something out of someone's diet to determine what would help them? Yeah, that's a good question. Honestly, now, you know, being in the medical field, I believe it was because more commonly, because what we know now um, is that lactose intolerance affects um, across the board, all, you know, all racial and ethnic groups. Um, and it's common, a lot more common than people give it credit for. Yeah. Um, and so I think, you know, that was really why he suggested theory first. Um, just because of the commonality. Yeah. So once that was determined and, and confirmed, kind of, that that was giving you the stomach issues, how did you proceed from there? Yeah. So it, it was challenging um, because no one in my family um, was even vegetarian, let alone, you know, plant based or vegan. Um, and so I struggled for a bit, you know, with finding food to eat. Um, because, you know, a lot of the things that I enjoy eating, for example, mac and cheese is one of my favorite foods. Um, mm. <laughs> so, you know, you took that away and I was like, oh, no. Um, and ice cream was another thing that was a favorite of mine. Uh, so, you know, it was challenging to avoid those things. And it almost, you know, would come to a point where sometimes it would be like, well, you know, if you eat this, you got to be prepared to know that, you know, you're going to be doubled over for a day. So is it going to be worth it? You know, trying mm. to make these decisions within myself and these negotiations almost, you know? Yeah. So, that, yeah, that was a, a challenging thing. 
um, nowadays, you know, this, this has been, uh, you know, over 20 years ago. But nowadays, we have a lot more dairy-free options, thankfully. Right. Um, but, yeah, you know, then I think I discovered soy milk at the time. Um, and there were not even, I don't even recall there being any dairy-free cheeses. So you just kind of had to do without or, you know, do some something else. Um, sure. <laughs> not have cheese, yeah. But at the time, once it was clear that dairy was was indeed giving you that stomach difficulty, was it at one point the thought like, well, I'll just steer clear of dairy, even though as you've just outlined, that's that's no small thing? Or was it already clear that maybe you were going to widen out things that you were also going to eliminate? I mean, did you know from the, the fact that dairy was identified as the culprit that you thought, well, maybe I will go vegan, plant-based, or were you just trying to look for other things that might help you feel better than you were with the uh, the clear connection between the dairy and the stomach issues? Right. Yeah, yeah. So, no, not then. I, it was not in my mind to go, you know, vegan. Um, and really it was because, like I said, I didn't, I didn't know anybody who was vegan. I, I, even going dairy-free was like a big jump out of my peer group, sure. um, if you will, and even family. But I've always been the type of person that's a reader, and I go look up things. And so, you know, after that, I did find myself just starting to research about food and how food affects our health. Um, so that really kind of began to spike my interest in, mm -hmm. in food and health, even at that time. Um, and I knew, you know, I was in college, so I knew I wanted to go to medical school. And so, you know, I, I tried this um, vegetarian just for a, a little while, but that was challenging just because I didn't, you know, have any peer group who was also vegetarian family. And so going to, you know, going back home for gatherings made it really difficult. It's like, well, there's nothing to eat. <laughs> kind of thing. Who's this weirdo that's showing up to the family gatherings, right? Exactly, the, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. There used to be now. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So that was the challenge. But, you know, I met when I went to medical school, I actually one of my friends um, and, and my classmates at the time was vegan. Um, and she was really the example for me because I would see, you know, like she was running a lot and she just, you know, seemed to be really in good health. And she would always, you know, kind of suggest that I've always tried this to try that um, kind of thing. And that's really you know, this was a few years later, but that's really what even piqued my interest even more mm -hmm. and made me, you know, even dive into things even more then. So that brings up a question that I, I'm always kind of interested in when I speak with a, with a doctor on the show over the years. From your perspective, what kind of job did your med school do with its curriculum regarding food and nutrition? Yeah, so we, we did have a nutrition class. But it came from more of the basics of kind of like building blocks and more of the scientific basis of nutrition. Okay. So not so much of, you know, um, food and disease, if you will, mm -hmm. uh, but more, you know, more so of... Amino acids uh, and that kind of thing. Is an amino acid, right, yeah. exactly, that type of thing. Yeah, because it's, I have spoken with a number of physicians on this show over the years, and the training generally, it seems to be... Uh, and again, some of this has is, is changed depending on if, if it's more recently that they attended med school. But the, the, the training in that realm was, was pretty woefully lacking um, in terms of just making what, what 
you know, I think to many people has become a clear connection between, you know, diet, nutrition, and at least certain kind of chronic uh, diseases and other illnesses. So it always seemed like kind of a weird disconnect just even within medical school. Um, in the same way that, you know, often you find hospitals serving, you know, chicken or steak Salisbury to uh, cardiac patients, you just think, okay, really? I mean, geez. Yep. Um, so yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, I've I've gone to some of the number one, you know, heart hospitals in the country, and you walk in and you'll see a McDonald's or a Wendy's <laughs> right there in the lobby. Yeah, well, I guess uh, fascinating. Yeah, no, it's it's just it's just so striking. But I I, I do think from the, the general talk conversations I've had with doctors, and again, if they're more recently been, emerged from med school, it does seem like it's better, at least at some schools, maybe not across the board, but. Uh, the progress seems to be slow in that regard, and it just seems so pivotal for a long, you know, for the very reasons of things that we'll be talking about in the course of our conversation here, just the the incredibly strong connection uh, that there really is um, between so many medical conditions and chronic diseases, et cetera. So it just seems like the med schools would sort of be moving more swiftly in that direction. But um, Yeah. But, and, so, and some of them are um, because, you know, I have noted I've, I've also been involved in medical education uh, with both med students and resident physicians. Um, and some of them are uh, instituting more lifestyle-based medicine approaches into the curriculum, mm-hmm. uh, which has been really good for, for teaching, um, you know, new incoming uh Positions yeah. about the connection with food and disease, um, but I will say this has probably just been over the past five or you know so years. Yeah, I've, I've seen this the switch. Yeah, no, I think I think the key thing now is to applaud that the progress is being made, not to whine so much that like all the years where that that, that doesn't even seem like much concern was paid to that, but. Um, I mean, it's a shame back then, but it does seem like, as you say, around the last five years or so, that many, many medical schools are definitely kind of shoring up that gap. Yeah. So uh, when did you decide you wanted to run a kind of specialized practice, which I think is a a fair way, I guess, to describe the, uh, the Essence of Health Wellness Clinic? Yeah, yeah, sure. So I opened the clinic uh, in 2019, and the reason was, you know, so I had, you know, transitioned my own diet to uh, plant-based vegan diet, and over the years of practice, I had been, you know, encouraging patients to make these changes in their diet, and I started to see that the patients who really, you know, followed those guidelines and who really... um, took that to heart and made those changes, they were actually seeing benefits. You know, I I always remember um, one of the very first patients, you know, once I felt comfortable to even, you know, have the discussion with them uh, was a guy who had uh, high cholesterol and they uh, were, had some borderline uh, type 2 diabetes and they hadn't seen a doctor in quite a while. And so, you know, I talked with him and I was like, well, you know, you're bordering on these things. And so let's, you know, make these dietary changes, uh, you know, and we talked about cutting out meat, cutting out dairy products. We talked about getting more um, whole grain fiber um, in his diet and adding more dark leafy green vegetables. And then I saw him back in three months, as I would typically do for his checkup, 
and uh, checked his labs, and it was fascinating the improvement he had made. And he was he was so excited to just come to his appointment and even tell me about it. He's like, you know, I did this and I did that, and he's like, I feel so great. And and we both, you know, looked at his labs, and we were both just thoroughly impressed. And I was like, yeah, this, you know, I knew it had worked, you know, for my health, but yeah, yeah this, this this works for people. Is that I wanted to do more of that. Right. So is that the kind of uh, an example of that, that, that experience was kind of what prompted you to say, hey, maybe, maybe I'll just go in this direction and kind of really focus on this as, as, a, as a practice? Yeah, yeah, because I was, you know, in a more traditional um, setting of, of private practice. Um, and what I always found is just that in the traditional setting, you don't get the time to really have a, a thorough discussion with patients. A lot of the visits um, in a typical insurance-based environment, you only get in about 15 minutes or less, honestly, with patients. And it's hard to make adequate change in someone's mind in that time frame when you're also having to address whatever their health conditions are, you're having to manage their medications, and you're having to you know, make sure any other tests or procedures are ordered um, in such a short time frame. And I found myself, you know, getting to a point of getting frustrated because I knew that there was more that could be done if only I had more time um, to tell these people about these things. So I found myself just kind of quickly handing them a handout on the way out of the door. But that's not enough to really, you know, get a person on board and to change someone's mindset. You really need time to talk to them about it and to tell them why. Um, and so that's when I just decided to go out and branch out on my own and do things a different way uh, with the more concierge-style practice so that I would get that time to be able to sit with my patients and to actually educate them um, on why this is necessary and appropriate uh, and to take that time so that they also feel educated and empowered um, to this part of their health and not just, you know, here's your Band-Aid and, See you next time. Right. Good luck, and uh, hope, hopefully things are better the next time we see you. Yeah. Um, right. So maybe you could kind of just, uh, for those who may not have come across this, just clarify more specifically what a, a concierge-style practice involves as opposed to what many of us might think was a more traditional practice when you go see the doctor. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So my practice, it is a, a cash-based practice. Um, but those who have uh, insurance, out-of-network benefits, they are able to apply some of that to their out-of-network benefits. But what it entails is that um, my patients have much longer appointments. My appointments are typically 60 to 90 minutes, depending on the uh, concerns of the patient. Um, and their appointment is with me. They aren't, they aren't spending, you know, hours in the waiting room They because I don't double book or anything. Um they come directly and they see me. We spend this time. We uh, review their medical history in detail, uh, any of their family history in detail to see what part that may be playing. We take a deep dive into their nutritional intake. Um, I also uh, dive into their sleep um, schedule, uh, if they're, their work environment, if that's playing a part in their stress, their home environment. Um, we also, you know, look at their other lifestyle things, if they get any exercise in their day, if they're a smoker. Um, so uh, just a much more detailed and thorough history um, yeah. next exam. Um, you know, we also do the normal things like check their uh, vitals, blood pressure, those types of things, and check their lab work. Um, and then I monitor, you know, in addition to just traditional lab work, but also vitamin levels because I've found that those things can make a difference too in, in folks' energy and mental health and health 
um, and wellness. And so we check those things and then I give them a plan. Um, and their plan is, you know, depending on uh, what exactly the health health condition is, but it's going to be a plant-centered plan for them um, to put more plants on their plate um, and how to do it and, you know, little hacks to say for those people who may have not had anything dairy-free before. Now we've got a lot of, a lot of options. So <laughs> Yeah, it's different than when you had to uh, go dairy-free, right? Right, yeah. exactly. So I'm able to share recipes with them or share books. I keep a little library in the office of books. Um, that I'm able to share with them and, and research. And so it creates a much more thorough experience and a much more uh, informative experience for yeah. the patient. Um, so one thing that interesting that you kind of made reference to is um, that it's uh, there. there is some out-of-network, uh, I guess, insurance benefits, but it sounds like is it is it by by the sort of dictates of the insurance company or kind of your own professional preference that, that generally speaking, insurance doesn't sound like that's part of the experience when people go see you. Right. So my actual consultation fee, um, I, you know, make it, it's transparent. So it's a flat rate fee. They know the fee, you know, when they come. Mm-hmm. And then they can apply, you know, if they have those out-of-network benefits and use that. Uh, but then insurance definitely covers things like their lab work, um, okay. they're on medication. Yeah. Um, insurance will cover that too. Um, or if they need testing for something that we need to look further into, uh, we file that through their insurance. Yeah. Cool. But it's my consultation fee um, that they pay the cash rate for. I got you. Yeah, because you would think back to sort of what we were talking about in terms of med school or some of the food served at hospitals, that in the same way that an insurance company when they have uh, you know a, a client, a customer, or whatever that's seeing someone like you and enacting the plan that you that you draw up for that for that patient, um, it seems like it's in their best interest to support that effort because obviously this person's health is going to get better if they have a chronic condition or some kind of issue, which we'll maybe get into a bit more. That's going to either clear up or improve. Um, so I, I, it would just seem like they would, unless it's just too complicated in terms of the mechanics and the paperwork and whatever, it just seems like they would be uh, super supportive of a patient that was seeing a doctor like you. Yeah, one, one would think, but, you know. It's- <laughs> one, one would be wrong, it sounds like, maybe. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's. Sure, it's, it's a racket. It really is. It's one of those things that, yeah, it's great if you have to be, you know, in the hospital. But if you're fairly well, insurance really doesn't benefit most uh, people who, you know, are fairly well or fairly, you know, just have chronic outpatient conditions. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, you, you know, you have folks who have really high deductibles and, you know, all of these other out-of-pocket expenses that insurance um, won't cover, you know, until you're actually hospitalized, which they're, you know, they're banking on hoping that you don't <laughs> go to the hospital. Right. They really don't try to benefit you to not do that, unfortunately. Right. But let's say, you know, just, and, and it sounds like it's sort of pointless because that's just the way they do it, but I'm just thinking that, you know, if someone comes to see you and they've they've got, uh, let's say, heart disease, some some you know level of heart disease at least, and then you guys go through all the the labs and your consultation and and uh, drop a plan, and so you know at least over time, but often cases very quickly, that starts to 
improve greatly, uh, recede, whatever. Again, it just seems like an insurance company would say, well, then this person probably won't be needing to go to the hospital or won't like have maybe the kind of heart attack that was maybe around the corner before they made the changes after seeing Dr. Toombs Withers. So it's actually in our financial best interest, regardless of what we think about the person's health, to, to support this effort. So it still seems a, bit, a little mystifying just even on, the, on a mercenary level. I totally agree with you, and yeah. uh, you know, would we'll, we'll love for you to be one of the lawmakers to. <laughs> yeah, I'll get right on that, Doctor Toombs. Whether I'll see if I can get elected quickly, and we'll put something in place. Yeah. <laughs> This is Talking Animals on WNF. I'm Duncan Strauss. If you just tuned in, my guest is Dr. Shayla Toombs-Withers, whose practice, as we're hearing, reflects her holistic philosophy, combining her knowledge of medicine, tr- nutritional ideology, em- emphasizing a plant-based diet, and recommending an exercise, athletic training, etc. Dr. Toombs-Withers also will be a speaker at the Tampa Bay Veg Fest this Saturday, November 5th, at Perry Harvey Senior Park. If you have a question for Dr. Toombs-Withers or would like to offer a comment, Please call 813-239-9663, email dj at wmnf.org, or text 813-433-0885. Um, so tell me about the distinction that you make, at least professionally, if not personally, between plant-based and vegan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. So vegan always explains to people is, is more of, you know, I count it as more of a lifestyle thing because... Um, you know, you have uh, vegan folks who really c- are concerned uh, for animal welfare, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so uh, more vegan, you know, folks will be on just the food on their plate will also be concerned about their attire, um, you know, and if that came from animal products or if they even used uh, shampoos or makeup that was tested on animals. So it goes, you know, beyond just what's, what's on the plate versus sure. plant-based. Um, it's typically more health related. Um, and so I always use the analogy that I've actually met vegans who I've met some vegans who really don't really like vegetables. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. You know, they, 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 they avoid animal products, but they still, you know, will consume them. There are a lot of things that are vegan, for instance, Oreos, um, that aren't exactly health foods. Yeah, um, you know, and so that that's the distinction versus plant based are typically folks who um, are more health oriented um, in terms of of veganism in terms of what's they're putting on their plate more for health related reasons. Yeah, so so then it, just to take that a step further, as part of your philosophy, as I understand it at least, you recommend that your patients adopt a plant based diet, but do not feel, for example, that everyone has to be to be. Uh, vegan or necessarily even steer clear of certain foods that would be associated with vegan or even plant-based foods. It sounds like it's really uh, patient by patient what makes sense for them based on, again, their their labs, their history, their lifestyle, et cetera. Right, right. Yeah, so we go with more of a plant-predominant mm-hmm. diet. Right. really the way I, I term it. Yeah, and um, because of that, because, you know, there are a number of things. So some people... Uh, still will say, well, you know, they have trouble navigating a family function or navigating, you know, if I travel and that kind of thing. Well, you know, they get really anxious about that. And so, of course, you know, I equip them and we talk about um, things, even fast food places that you can go and get some fairly decent uh, plant-based food. Yeah. Um, so we talk about those things, but we also talk about 
that it's just more um, important more than anything that you not stress yourself out because we also know stress can cause a whole nother set of health issues. Sure. Um, but that you stick with more plant predominant. And then if you look at the, um, the scientific studies that were done, um, a lot of them that were done, people didn't exactly 100%, you know, stick to all plant uh, based uh, diets when they looked at some of the larger studies. Uh, but the people who stuck to it the majority of the time uh, still saw uh, tremendous health benefits, even if it wasn't a 100% kind of thing. Um, right. So, so it sounds. Mind, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Dr. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, so it sounds yeah. like predominantly that's the case. But again, patient by patient, depending on, again, their particular set of circumstances, their labs, their family history, how their day-to-day life is, other things that are factors that you weigh in in that, that extended consultation you exactly. told us about. Yeah. Um, so yeah. it might be okay. It breaks down further, uh, Duncan, even with you know some of my plant-based patients who I even recommend that they don't consume any oil or salt. Um, or sugar at all. Yeah. So, you know, we kind of take it even to a, a deeper level um, with those products and some of my patients, uh, depending on their health conditions uh, versus some others who can still have some of that in their diet. Gotcha. Um, so it, you know, there's not necessarily a one-size-fit-all right. uh, approach, but it's definitely more plant-predominant. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, all right, so we got a caller here and an email or a question or two or something. Let's get at least one of those folks involved. Hi, you're on Talking Animals with Dr. Shayla Toombs-Withers. Greetings, Duncan and Doc. Uh, this is Clay from Land Lakes. I just wanted to say, uh, she sounds like, I didn't hear the whole interview from the very beginning, but been listening most of the time. Sounds like she's a functional medicine doctor. Would that be an accurate statement? So... No, I'm not actually functional medicine. I'm board certified in family medicine and board certified in obesity medicine. But the uh, I can tell you kind of the difference. The approach for functional medicine typically uh, looks a lot deeper into some of more of the vitamin and supplemental side of things. I don't go very deeply um, into that within my uh, particular practice. Um, so that's a bit of a difference there. Okay, well, but it sounds like what you're describing is functional medicine because you're trying to keep people healthy rather than treating just their symptoms. Uh, you know, you treat their symptoms when they come to you with it, when they're sick, but you're trying to get them to where they're healthy all the time. And that's what functional medicine is. Oh, for it's sure. Yeah. And, and, and then most sure. of the functional medicine doctors say that at least uh, 60 to 80% of your diet should be plant-based. You know, of course, some of them argue that you need more protein, so... That was one of the things I was going to bring up is that a good source of protein that we ignore that is not eating animals or meat are insects, crickets, mealyworms, grubs, all those kind of things. There's a whole show done on that um, recently on um, one of the uh, shows here on WNF. So they say you just can't function properly if you're straight vegan because you're not going to get enough protein in your diet. Well, I think that's... If you if you are in the Tampa area, I invite you definitely to come hear my talk because that's definitely one of the things that I'm planning to touch on is, is the how do you get your protein and are you getting enough protein? Oh, okay. Not true. <laughs> so so when, when, when's your talk? 
It's Saturday. It's, it's this Saturday, and I, uh, sorry, I have the time written down here. I think it's, I want to say 1.30 to 2.30, but let me just double check, Clay. Okay. Yeah, it's 1.30 to 2.30 at, 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 at the uh, Tampa Bay Veg Fest this Saturday at uh, oh, okay. Perry Harvey Senior Park. So you can look for her uh, from 1.30 to 2.30 that, this afternoon. Well, thanks, for, thanks for being on the air with Duncan, and thanks, Duncan, for the great show you always produce. Peace be upon you both, and stay healthy. Thank you so much, Clay. Thank you. Um, so, Dr. Uh, Toombs Withers, a question came in that sort of ties into that you may not have the answer to, but at least uh, we'll ask. She's, uh, one, our email, one of the emailers says, I don't suppose she practices here, and no, she doesn't, as I, we established at the beginning of the show. Her practice is in um, Chattanooga, Tennessee. But the, the emailer goes on to say, if not, can she recommend a similar doctor in Pinellas County? Um, so I don't know if you have colleagues um, Dr. Uh, Tumas Withers, that the practice in and around the Tampa Bay area that you might uh, mention to uh, to this email or okay. other people yeah, listening so probably have the same same kind of questions. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. So my my clinic practice is located in Tennessee. However, I do hold over twenty licenses where I provide telehealth um, consultations and services. Uh, Florida, however, is not one of those states. Ah, okay. <laughs> Georgia, Georgia is, for instance, uh, one of those states. Um, but yeah, so for the person in Florida, I would recommend that they check out Dr. Jamie Delaney. Um, she's a plant-based cardiologist there in Florida with the primary care um, concierge-type practice, too. Great. Okay, good. That's excellent. And... Um I'm waiting for the uh, emails or calls to pour in about the protein uh, situation just because that usually triggers. Uh, um, yeah, that, that's such a common um, concern that a lot of people have. And I'll tell you, Duncan, you know, we talked about medical school. Um, and one of the things I learned in medical school, we talked, you know, we learned a lot about protein malnutrition. And I will honestly say I've never seen it um, in over a decade of practice in any uh, individual that was up walking around um, in the United States. <laughs> now, you will certainly see it in some countries where access to food um, is lacking. And you may see it um, in hospitalized patients who have been, you know, on a ventilator, for instance, and haven't been able to get adequate um, nutrition at all. But in folks who eat, Every day, um, we just aren't protein deficient, and that doesn't matter the type of diet um, that you're consuming. So, um, the the overall theme is that really people don't have to be so concerned. Um, studies have shown that really we consume too much protein. Um, all of the studies show that we we probably consume easily twice as much protein than what we really need. Yeah, well, that that's one of the things that people that are that are curious or exploring. Uh, going to a plant-based diet, you know, are concerned about, and what the yeah, what they often don't know is that the, the amount of protein they otherwise get is, as you just noted, um, I don't know if excessive is the right word, but they get more than often more than twice as much as they need. And as one of our emailers wrote in with a subject line says, "Protein myth: the largest land animal, uh, an elephant, never eats meat, so exists uh, on greens only." So that's one example of how to get there, and. Um, and your your uh, VegFest uh, colleague, Vegan uh, Evan, who's a 12-year-old certified um, expert. I don't have the exact title in front of me, but we just talked about that briefly last week about because uh, some of the questions he gets a lot in his capacity is like this sort of uh, 
precocious and, and certified expert, is about the protein thing. And he just, you know, was reminding people that um, the best source of pr- protein is from is is actually from plants. So rather than have the animals eat the plants and then get the protein that way, it's more efficient and obviously better for all concerned to just you know get the protein exactly. from from the plants. So it is it is very easy to do. And uh, again, it's just a you know, myth that people are often up against when they're sort of exploring this or discussing this or considering making right. a change. So uh, let's take right. a, Well, the main thing, you know, I find um, in meeting people, especially people who are more new to plant-based eating, is that they just don't really know what to eat. Um, and that's really where the, the lack of, you know, a whole nutritional plate comes from. Yeah. Because a lot of, for a lot of people, you know, they haven't had friends, they haven't had family members who are plant-based. And so, uh, you know, I, I think back to going to my family functions where I was, you know, served the typical iceberg lettuce uh, plate and was like, oh, okay, here, here's your vegan food. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. right. Yeah, if you just didn't eat nothing but iceberg lettuce, and yeah, you're going to have a lot of nutritional deficiencies. Yeah. <laughs> but there's a lot more food that we can, can eat. Yeah. Know? So it's just a matter of educating people. Right. Well, that's the thing. It sounds like that's a big part of the consultation that you have and probably on an ongoing basis. And in the same way that someone like Dr. Delaney that you recommended for in the Florida area would probably similarly outline you know, the range, the, the growing uh, rapidly range of things that uh, people can eat and should eat and, you know, all kinds of great uh, things that will be alternatives. And, and uh, so it's, you know, it's, it's just far more interesting and delicious than I think people would uh, have initially thought if they're coming from, from, you know, a standpoint of like, well, I, I would never go vegan because I would never have enough to eat, or what would I do? Or I would just have the right. iceberg lettuce on my plate. So let's uh, let's take another caller. Um, hi, you're on Hello. talking animals. Hello, you're on talking animals with Dr. Toombs Withers. Hello. Hello. Uh, did you have a question or comment for Dr. Toombs Withers? Uh, yes, I'm uh, I'm Joe. I've been teaching uh, holistic health at. Hillsborough Community College here in Tampa Okay. Uh, for 33 years, and I've hosted 923 radio shows on the college radio station. Wow. Thank you for this show, Dr. Toonsworthers. Can you spell your name, please? I'd like to know where to, how to reach you. That's, it's, yeah, it's, sure. it, uh, it's T-O-O-M-B-S hyphen W-I-T-H-E-R-S, first name Dr. Shayla, Toons Withers. Okay, yeah. Uh, uh, Dr. Toons Withers, uh, can you tell me what percentage of your patients comply with your recommendation? Because I find in teaching for 33 years, I have a very low percentage of compliance doing every day what is needed to be well. That is a great question. And I will say, um, if I had to give a percentage, I would probably say about 70%, honestly. And I, I feel like, I, you know, this is not some scientific study uh, that's been done, but I feel like the difference there is because of the fact that I spend a lot more time with them. Um, and I'm, you know, every time they talk to me, every time they see me, uh, everything leads back to what's on their plate. So, you know, if they're coming in the next time, even in, you know, we may be talking about 
back pain or, you know, something. And then it's like, well, you know, you can eat these foods that may, you know, cause uh, less inflammation for you and may, you know, help your pain even and make you feel better. Um, and so a lot of the discussions that I have with them lead back to what's on their plate. And so I think that, you know, what helps. Um, with more of that compliance issue. Um, and then, you know, a lot of folks will still hold out initially. And then, I, you know, it's funny, I've, I saw another patient back recently, and this patient has been with me a couple of years. And so she finally said, she said, you know, I finally just kind of buckled down and, and did what she told me over the past three months even. And she was like, I've already lost 10 pounds, and I started running. And, and she's been with me for over, like I said, over two years. But <laughs> she just finally said, well, okay, well, I'm just going to really give this a try um, and notice right. that difference. Okay, well, thanks, Dr. Thank you. Well, I'm going to look for you uh, uh, at the Tampa Bay Veg Fest, Dr. Uh, I'm uh, looking awesome. forward to talking with you. Yeah, she again, her official uh, time that she's giving her talk is from 1.30 to 2.30. So, thanks uh, very much. But she'll be around otherwise, I'm sure, as well. All right, thanks for, so much for your call. And I was just going to say, as a further uh, answer, just speculative about compliance, I would think for a patient to, to seek you out, and knowing what your practice is and what it, you know, what the philosophy is and what the likely recommendations are going to be for a patient, even though they'll be specific to their labs and their day-to-day life and work style, uh, smoking and all those things. But I, I would think they'd come there knowing that some changes are probably going to be required. And, and so to walk through the the door they have to probably be at least somewhat open to, if not willing to, to comply, because otherwise I would think, what's the point? Exactly. But, you know, Duncan, for a lot of people, it's, it's a mindset and it's a mental shift that has to happen. Um, even though, you know, they'll come see me, you're right. There's some part of them that's saying, you know, oh, I, I know I, I need to make this change or, you know, I want to do something different. Um, but wanting to and, and doing so, you know, as we yeah. are two different things. Um, and so for a lot of times it, it just, just takes that mind shift to say, you know, okay, I'm, I'm really going to do it this time or I'm going to, you know, make a more concerted effort. Yeah. Well, it's just like the patient you just mentioned who, you know, you've been seeing for the better part of sounds like two years and only just in recent months really embraced the recommendations that you made. And, you know, she, she, was ready when she was ready and, and not really before. So Exactly. Yeah. So let's take one more call here while we still have a little more time left. Hi, you're on Talking Animals with Dr. Shayla Toomes Withers. Hey, first of all, thank you for having the best animal show on the planet. <laughs> um, thank you. I, I'm still sending you those payments, aren't I? No, I, I'm, okay. still, uh, <laughs> I'm still seeing how great you are. Okay, thanks. Thank also, your guests are always great. This guest is great. Um, real briefly, I went vegan primarily because I look at the way humans treat animals as a form of interspecies slavery, torture, and crime. So that was my, my reason. But then the health benefits were so obvious. And the, prob- the only problems with veganism is that you will, may be short of some things like choline and vitamin B and calcium. So you have to use um, vegan supplementation. But I'm a vegan athlete. 
And at 65 years old, I swim two miles a day in the Gulf, then I ride my bicycle 30 miles, and I do martial arts for an hour, and I'm a vegan athlete. So when people say you're going to be short of protein or energy or whatever, that is a meat industry propaganda. And I'll leave you with this. The meat industry is just as bad as a lot of the other evil industries, and they are spreading anti-vegan, anti-plant-based propaganda, as well as buying politicians to pass laws against veganism, for example, to make it where they can't use the phrase soy milk, because milk is only what we steal from animals uh, that are meant for their babies, etc. So let's keep pushing veganism and plant-based, because the other alternative is to torture, like in America, 67 billion sentient animals per year minimum are slaughtered to feed the non-vegans wow all right thank you so much for your for your call and your uh, observations dr tunes whether there's anything you want to say by way of response to that because otherwise we're just about running out of time i'm going to try to squeeze go ahead yeah i think it's awesome the the amount of activity that you do i enjoy some of those activities myself as a triathlete uh only um one correction I will say to what you made is regarding calcium um, and and many of your B vitamins. You actually can get them from plant sources. Now, unless you are someone who suffers from like osteoporosis, for instance, you can get a sufficient amount of calcium from plant sources without actually taking an additional supplement. Uh, B12 is the only B vitamin uh, that you may be lacking because B12 typically comes from animals who consume um things that have been sourced with B12 in it, um, in their feed, which is why animal sources have more B12. But I've also seen B12 deficient uh, individuals who were meat eaters as well as non-meat uh, eaters. So that can happen across the board. Uh, so, the, But that's really the only one that you would need to supplement. But other vitamins, you can get a sufficient amount in plant foods. Okay, great. All right, well, unfortunately, we have reached the end of our time. We had some great uh, call-up questions and email questions, some of which I didn't get a chance to get to. I apologize for that. But we've been speaking with Dr. Shayla Toombs-Withers. Her um, practice is the Essence of Health Wellness Clinic, and the website is simply essenceofhealthwellnessclinic.com. And, again, she'll be speaking uh, at the Tampa Bay Veg Fest this Saturday at Perry Harvey Senior Park. Her... Uh, Talk, the time she'll be giving her talk is from 1.30 to 2.30, and the um, title is Food as Medicine. So we'll look forward to that. So Dr. Toombs Withers, thank you so much for joining us today on Talking Animals. I really appreciate it and look forward to your talk on Saturday. Thank you so much, Duncan, for having me. Thank you. In a moment, I'll speak with H.H. German, the writer-creator of Calico, issue number six of an eight-issue series that's just been launched on Kickstarter. We'll delve into the story of the first comic book hero dedicated to fighting animal abuse and maybe the story behind the story. That's coming up in mere moments right now that we're going to step into the Comedy Corner. This is Chris Porter with a piece called Vegan Date in today's Comedy Corner on Talking Animals on WMNF. Went on a date with a girl. She's gorgeous, smart, but she's a vegan, so that's over before it started. What do you say to a vegan on a date other than, hey, stop crying, I'm trying to eat? (laughs) I got nothing against you, vegans. God bless you if you're here. You don't eat meat. You don't wear animals. That's fine. That's your prerogative. I'm just saying stop looking at me like I'm an asshole because we were here first. (laughs) There were no vegans 40 years ago. You know why? They all died in January. That's why. (laughs) 
And now when I'm eating my steak, don't boo and hiss at me, because we are not the only species that eats meat. When you see tigers attack a gazelle, you don't see a bunch of hippie tigers off to the side and boo. Can't believe I'm wearing this. No, they're eating the meat. You know why? Because meat's delicious, that's why. I'd eat more vegetables, but they taste like they came out of the ground. That was Chris Porter. With a piece called Vegan Date. Today's comedy corner of the, taken from his album, Ugly and Angry. Now it's time to speak with H.H. H. German, the writer, creator of Calico, the first comic book hero dedicated to fighting animal abuse. This is H.H. H. German back on Talking Animals on WNF. Good morning, H.H. H. Good morning, Duncan. How are you? I'm doing really well. Thanks for joining us again on Talking Animals. Great. Happy to be here. Thank you so much for having us. For sure. So we probably touched on this in our very first conversation, but what prompted you to create Calico, which is, we've noticed, the first comic book hero dedicated to fighting animal abuse? I mean, what was, why was this an important issue to you? Sure. Well, I'm a former boxer from the Bronx, and uh, let's just say I had some scuffles uh, prior to reaching the boxing uh, ring uh, that involved people who were doing bad things to animals. And I got in and was able to exercise my uh, <laughs> my uh, street learned skill. <laughs> wow! So, so in other words, there was some things you witnessed, and you said, "Hey, man, I'm going to put a stop to that." And uh, and and so, if, if somebody was abusing an animal, you would actually intervene. Right. It, it's a bit of a unique story. So, uh, my family emigrated from the Dominican Republic, and. Uh, English was my third language, so I, it was rough for me to learn the language, and I, I was bullied uh, quite a bit as a kid uh, growing up in an Italian neighborhood. And, um, not that I would have it any other way, but because I learned quite a bit, and I love uh, how I grew up. But, you know, some of the kids were, uh, you know, made fun of me a little bit, and I had to do what I had to do, and in that process, I learned to fight. As I got a little older, uh, I used my, uh, my new, new learned skills for good, and and unfortunately, they involved uh, some animals there, and I, I did eventually go to art school. So I went to the School of Visual Arts, which is a, a, a sort of a storied school for, for comic book and cartooning. Okay. And uh, where I sort of learned some things, and I, I picked up some writing, and here I am with a comic book that fights against animal abuse, and that's what we're all about. That's great. So when, once you came up with the idea for Calico, what challenges did you anticipate in... in um and seeking to incorporate this kind of crusader into the comic book world? Well, it's a great question. The, the, the biggest challenge is probably telling an accurate story, right? So uh, stories like this, uh, it's very difficult to actually, uh, you know, represent it accurately. So, uh, for instance, one of the biggest images, in fact, right from when you start the, the series, there's a, uh, an image of a, the poor little dog, you know, being abused. Yeah. Uh, there's not, not everyone wants to see that, but frankly... The only way we could accurately tell this story is if we, you know, we show some of that. And, and, you know, there's some of our readers that, you know, can't handle that, but fully support what we're trying to do. Uh, and our, our response is, listen, we can't have uh, creative impacted by people's sensitivities. And, and that's why this series is rated out for mature. And so now that you're almost like six uh, issues, you're about to launch issue, uh, issue number six of an eight-issue yep. series, how would you sort of characterize the response thus far? I mean, what, what, what have you kind of heard by way of comments or social media or otherwise in terms of feedback on right. uh, Calico? It's been, 
absolutely great. I mean, it's surprising. I thought there was going to be a little more balance uh, in terms of positive and negative due to uh, what I mentioned earlier. Yeah. It's been overwhelmingly supportive. Uh, people understand that, you know, listen, I grew up, I'm a Generation Xer, okay? I grew up in a time where uh, in order to tell people right and wrong, you had to uh, crack over some eggs on a frying pan. Today's generation isn't going to go for that. You know, you really have to, it's almost insulting. And you really have to show them what the social ill is. In this case, it's fighting animal abuse through comics. And the response has been absolutely wonderful. We're selling out in every city we go to. We're in a different city every weekend. Just came back from Baltimore Comic Con, heading to Rhode Island Comic Con. And uh, it's thanks to people like you who are able to spread our positive message of fighting animal abuse through comics. Well, that sounds great, and it sounds like it's really been embraced, and and sounds like little little or or none of the uh, kind of naysayers or people that that are would would uh, criticize this enterprise. Right, and it, like I said, it's it is pretty surprising. We thought we were going to get a little more negative backlash because again, we we tell all of the story. We don't leave any any part out, and frankly, uh, the audience is really taken to it. You mentioned the issue six Kickstarter. Uh, it's uh, crowdfunded. All of our issues are crowdfunded. We, we rely on the public support, so we ask your audience to uh, head over to, to Kickstarter and just type in Here Comes Calico, and you'll find the number one animal abuse fighting comic book in America. That's great. And uh, since you've gotten such, uh, sounds like even, you know, overwhelming uh, response and, and obviously favorable and maybe more so even than you anticipated, uh, what's the prospect of maybe uh, eventually a second series of Calico happening? Oh, that is definitely in the works, my friend. Yeah. We're actually working on that right now. I mean, when you get this kind of response, you know, understand this, right? So anything, any a comic book company, publisher, under five years is, is considered new. I mean, really, uh, no one really knows about uh, a comic book publisher that's less than five, year old, five years old. You really need to take your time to get, get it done out there. Yeah. Do marketing and, and Promotions. We're less than two years old, and we're selling out every city we go to. Uh, our Kickstarter was just launched uh, literally four days ago. I think it was. We're already more than halfway to our goal. That's great. Uh, so you know, these are the kinds of things that uh, you know. You know. You know. In baseball, you know when you hit a, a good shot, you feel it with the crack of the bat. You feel it in your arms, your shoulders. That's what we're feeling here. We got something really special. And again, we really want to thank people like yourselves that are, you know, helping us with this mission. All right, so we can urge people who might want to get involved or just heard about it when I like get caught up with the past issues or otherwise. But first, just go find Kick, uh, Kickstarter and then put in yep. "Here Comes Calico," and then that'll bring up the uh, the campaign. You can get involved that way. And uh, sounds like uh, it's really going great, and it's such a tremendous idea that uh, you know we have supported kind of early on and, and, and repeatedly, oh, yeah. and we're happy to do so because it just seems like a great, great thing to. Uh, step into the comic book world with this kind of a hero. Well, you guys are friends of animals and, and animal lovers, so that's why, you know, we love your program here and, and you know, are going to continue to uh, be a part of it if you'll have us. <laughs> Great. All right, HH, well, we'll speak to you again soon at some point, I hope then, and good luck on this Kickstarter. Absolutely. Thank you to you and all the audience. Really appreciate you for having us. All right, man. Take care. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. You have a great Bye-bye. All right, we have reached the end of today's edition of Talking Animals on WMNF Tampa. Reminder that next Wednesday I won't be here, but Bev Capshaw will be, and she'll be talking with Philip Mayero, founder of Dogs Aloud Tampa Bay. Scott Elliott's up next after NPR's news headlines. We'll see you in two weeks here on Talking Animals on WMNF.